0: you know, know better, and you know better know better know i know know i don't know hi everyone and welcome to the last episode of the first season of don't butcher it an intersectional self-help podcast for the person who always feels like the underdog Through this podcast, I want to encourage you to embrace who you are and set the record straight. I wanted this season to be only 10 episodes, mainly because, one, I need a break, and two, because I've learned so much about podcasting and storytelling through this medium, and I want to take some time to reflect and evaluate on the podcast's areas of strength and its areas of growth. I also just want to take some time to intentionally plan the second season, so I'll post more details about the second season on the podcast's Twitter, at Don't Butcher It, and on my Instagram story, at Upasna So I graduated in August 2020 from my grad program at Northwestern. The program is called MS in Leadership for Creative Enterprises. So, yeah, I have a master's of science, which is really just unnerving to say because I never thought that I would ever say that. So the program's curriculum is essentially a mix of business, organizational leadership, communication and general creative industry related classes. It's basically business for the arts. I had a class called Leading Creative Teams taught by Gail Berger, who's a professor at Kellogg and the McCormick School of Engineering at Northwestern University. This professor was really cool at balancing the analytical and strategic aspects of leadership with the emotional, intelligence, creative aspects of leadership. We were all split into teams, and we had to present a case study on whichever individual or organization was assigned to us. The case study had to be approached from an analytical lens, specifically through the lens of what makes a good leader, which sounds like an easy question to answer, but in a room or a Zoom classroom, in my case, full of smart people, it's difficult to find the right answer. One of the teams was assigned Oprah Winfrey, and they talked about her background, her history, her career trajectory, and her just current day endeavors. If you don't know already, although I am sure you do, Oprah Winfrey is an American talk show host, television personality, and philanthropist. She's a source of inspiration for so many people, specifically women and black women. In the case study presented by the group, the details of her life were not left out, and of course, this is information you can find on Wikipedia, but I will highlight what I perceive as what folks seem to always gravitate toward the most in conversations about her life story. She was born to a teen mother. She grew up in rural poverty for the first six years of her life. She was molested by multiple family members starting from the age of six. She became pregnant when she was 14, but her child was born prematurely and died shortly after he was born. She lost her half-sister in 2003 to cocaine addiction, and she is the first black multibillionaire in North America. When it was Q&A time at the end of the presentation on Oprah, someone mentioned how hearing about Oprah's story made them feel so, so inspired, but also, in a way, made them feel small. Okay, mind you, this person was a straight white guy in his late 30s, but anyway, he said, I haven't been through that kind of trauma before, the kind that changes your life and who you are in a fundamental way. Does that mean I can't be an amazing leader? Do all great leaders have to have the prerequisite of severe, life-changing trauma? I'm curious about exploring the relationship between trauma and our personalities, and our perception of people who've quote-unquote been through it. So that's what this episode will be about, how trauma makes us and doesn't define us, and how to redefine and understand ourselves when we compare our traumas to someone else's. When my classmate asked that question, I couldn't help but remember a class from the previous term, Personal Leadership Insights, taught by Brenda Booth, who also is a professor at Kellogg. There were about 12 of us in the class, and at one point, we had to take turns telling our life story. There was a better, more nuanced prompt, but like in the simplest way, that's what it was, us sharing our life stories with one another in class. Everyone in class had been through some kind of trauma. And like, I don't think I can assume they shared everything. But when it was my turn, I realized that although I've reached a place of neutrality when it comes to my experiences, when I talk about what I've experienced, most people are like, wow, you're so strong or like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. In class, I talked about growing up with a single mother. I talked about my mother and I having to move around a lot because she was literally single in her late 20s with a baby after immigrating from India and living in the U.S. for only five years. I also talked about my mother's experience with physical and emotional abuse, most of which I was present for uh, when she was experiencing it. So I talked about how that impacted me. And of course, I talked about my dad's bipolar disorder and losing him when I was 13 years old. All of these experiences made me who I am and I was only just scratching the surface during the five minutes I had to share my life story. Most of the response from the class was either A, you don't act like someone who's been through that kind of shit or B, I can't believe you've been through that and you're still standing (laughs) or C, the combination of wow, you're so strong thing I mentioned earlier, but expressed in a little more tastefully and less pitying tone, what my friend Kennedy would call The false politeness of academia. (laughs) Only now am I really proud of my background and how it's made me who I am today. But I also think back to the younger me who wished I had grown up in a four-person family in a childhood home. Someone who had childhood friends or a town they could actually and technically label a hometown. And then there's people on the other side of it, like the dude in my class who, and I'm not saying he's not been through shit, but judging by the question he asked in class, I'd guess he's had a pretty stable life. But like that dude is wondering shit, have I been through enough? I also think about this guy I had drinks with who I'd known from over the internet for a couple of years because he read my stuff in Rookie. Um, actually, I don't like him as a person, so I really hope he doesn't read, like, listen to my podcast, because he has such a big ego, he's gonna think that, like, I value him or something, but anyway, I told him a bit about my life, literally the surface level bit, about losing my dad and moving around a lot, which he already knew about, because I wrote about it in Rookie, and he read my stuff, but anyway, he said, okay, so you're one of those people, one of those artists with a backstory, like, almost every successful person I know. Then he went on to talk about his Wonder Bread life, starting with, I haven't been through what you've been through, but... And I can't really stop thinking about that. Like, if I ever make it, like, if I ever become well-known, which is, you know, the definition of success on a very surface level for most people in society, are people going to talk about what happened in my life? Do people already do that to me? And it's not that I care what people think, but rather... I don't know if I want my work to be credited to what happened to me. Thinking about this guy's I had drinks with, his perception of me, and the dude in class who was worried he wasn't a fundamentally resilient enough of a person compared to someone like Oprah, I realized that maybe the conversation surrounding leadership and the ways in which we tell our stories and talk about our backgrounds should be less about, oh, am I interesting enough or have I been through enough? Is my story worth telling, but more about the lens through which we see the world? What does the world look like through your eyes, based on your experience? It's inherently different than everyone else's, so how do you find and communicate what makes it different? And how do you begin to understand that it's actually very valuable? I think first, it's important to know that it's actually kind of a backhanded compliment to tell someone that they've been through quote-unquote so much, because the fact of the matter is, if I had the choice, I wouldn't have experienced what I did. You heard me earlier romanticizing a trauma-free life, and wondering if you should have been more traumatized is really dismissive of the reality of it, which is that it affects you for the rest of your life. Like... There are things that I do, mistakes that I've made, um, situations that I've gotten myself in that I realize were the result of trauma responses. I also try not to perceive other people's trauma as worse than mine or looking at it like, well, at least I didn't go through that because that's also problematic and, and patronizing in a way. It's important to know that there's different kinds of trauma. Medical News Today, which is a repeatable source associated with Healthline Media, but also that could be an opinion. So Medical News Today (laughs) defines acute, chronic, complex, and vicarious, to name a few kinds of trauma. Acute trauma results from a single event. Chronic trauma results from repeated exposure to stressful events. And complex trauma results from exposure to multiple traumatic events. Everyone's got some type of trauma. And it's important to identify what has affected you and how without comparing. What experiences have you dismissed that have actually affected you? What are the experiences you avoid thinking about? What are the experiences you've grown numb to or desensitized to? What do you see as normal that others may not? I want to move away from the idea that people who've been through emotionally threatening experiences in life and are successful are only so because of what they've been through. It actually gives the trauma more power than the person themselves when you think this way. I want to move away from the idea that people who've experienced high levels of trauma are somehow different than everyone else. If we remove this ingrained perception, then it's a win-win for both kinds of people that I have in mind, as I'm speaking to you right now. You know, the kinds of people who romanticize a simpler and safer life, and the kinds who begrudgingly have lived a relatively trauma-free life, but are only begrudging because they're comparing. Instead, I want us to expect people with severe trauma to survive and thrive, which of course would bring in a conversation about access to resources for mental health, but of course that's a conversation for another time. I want people who say they've never experienced severe trauma to give themselves more credit without dismissing their privilege. In both scenarios, both kinds of people, I welcome the idea that what makes people interesting is their conviction to know, understand, and love who they are at any given moment in time. I'm saying that what makes Oprah, or anyone who's had severe trauma, herself, is that the events she went through in her life forced her to get closer to herself, developed her framework for the world, and taught her about resilience and grit. Oprah isn't Oprah because of what happened to her. She's Oprah because what happened to her taught her something and her eyes were pulled wide open so she could see what she wanted for her life. You don't need to go through anything specific to learn anything specific, but rather everyone's gone through something in order to learn what they're supposed to know already at this moment in life just by being alive. We can open our own eyes, draw the conclusions ourselves. We don't need trauma to do that, although if we have it, we should pay close attention to it without giving it the power of defining us. Not everyone responds the same way to trauma. But if you're wondering if you can or can't be something because of your trauma or lack thereof, you are wrong. (laughs) Exploring and understanding what has happened to you has less to do with what happened to you and more to do with who you are now because of your experiences and the ways in which you're willing to evolve to get closer to your vision for your life or even to get closer to developing a vision for your life. Hopefully this episode gave you some food for thought. I feel like I don't always have the right answers and oftentimes I'm speaking from a place of pure honesty and just my thoughts in general, regardless. Thank you to everyone who's been listening and supporting Don't Butcher It, especially people who've given me feedback and told me what they like about it. It's definitely meant to be fun for me, like at heart, that's the essence of it, but I also want it to be helpful and fun and real for others too. Thank you for listening. This was Don't Butcher It, Season 1.